I don't think I've ever met one engineer that didn't have a good story about how it didn't quite work out perfectly either on their first or second call. Enchanted Sky Media. This is Code 3, the podcast for firefighters. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again this week. Today, I'm doing another episode for engineers. This one's aimed at new engineers. You took the test, you passed, and now they let you run the big red engines. Congrats, but there's still a lot to know. Jim Spell is here today to give you some of that knowledge. Jim spent 33 years with Vail Colorado Fire and Emergency Services, the last 20 years as a captain. He has a long list of Colorado firsts, including forming the first countywide hazmat response unit. He's the founder of HazPro Consulting, and Jim also writes for the Fire Rescue One website. Personally, I love Fire Rescue One because they just chose Code 3 as one of their top 10 podcasts for firefighters. Can't beat that. Today, Jim's here to talk about mistakes rookie engineers make. Jim Spell, welcome to Code 3. Oh, thanks so much, Scott. Um, I've I've enjoyed your podcast. As a writer, uh, it's nice to uh, hear it live and in color, so to speak. (laughs) Thanks. So the mistakes we're going to talk about today seem like the kind of things you only learn from a more experienced guy. Is that true? Yeah, you know, that's very true. I, I think uh, rookie engineers can really benefit from a mentor. And uh, what I've noticed in the fire service is that engineers are probably the most cooperative bunch in terms of sharing information because the vehicles, every shift, the vehicles get traded off and the engineers are are like mother hens to that equipment. And once they get, uh, once they get uh, you know, into that equipment and start to understand it and realize the importance of it on the fire ground, the level of cooperation with engineers is pretty profound. So a rookie can uh, really gain a lot by having a mentor, find somebody that, that you're really on the same wavelength with and learn, learn from them. All right, let's go through your list of mistakes that new engineers make. Number one was you didn't make a detailed diagram of your vehicle in training. Well, you know, firefighters, they, they're they always required to know what's inside the boxes, so to speak, and they open up the panels or wherever on the truck and or the engine, and they're supposed to know what, where things are, and they they're pretty detailed about it. Engineers... They do that once, and then they think they've got it understood. They don't realize that that the the engine or the truck they're involved in is kind of a living organism, and it changes a lot. Um, uh, engineers may not communicate directly that they put the uh, the rope rescue bag in a different spot or they rewound it differently. So, um, not having a detailed diagram of your vehicle um, in the beginning and really understanding what is there. It kind of complicates things in terms of what isn't there. So a lot of times an engineer can be fooled thinking that something's there when it's not, and that's one of those mistakes you just don't want to make on the fire ground. 
How much of a problem is it forgetting where equipment is that you don't use very often? Oh, that's a good point. Um, I I always tried to make sure that I I looked at that when the, when the dust and oil started to uh, kind of collect on a gear bag. I, that was the that was the moment that I took that bag out, cleaned it up, and made sure I knew what was in it and why it wasn't being used. And a lot of times in meetings. Um, there, there were arguments or discussions about, you know, what should stay on the truck and maybe what should be taken off. If times have changed or rescue technology has changed, uh, maybe that hydraulic wedge and spreader would only be used in emergencies. And so, yeah, some some things get pushed back and never used, and and that can be a that can be a real sin because they can get rusty. They can uh, they can actually hurt the, the vehicle they're in as well as the equipment that, that is starting to deteriorate. Next, you said, and I love the way you said this, you ignored the stain and missed the drain. <laughs> yeah, that, that one is a kind of a personal one. Uh, a lot of times when you're, when you're flushing after a fire or uh, after a training session, you, you, you open up that main drain and it starts spitting out some some oil, and you can tell because it's it's sitting there on the water. And if you don't if you don't see where that stain is coming from or what it's from, if you don't get the clues understood in your mind, um, a lot of times you can really get in trouble. It could be uh, overflow on the on the pump priming oil, but it could be something worse. Uh, I think one of the most common uh, issues I faced in my years as an engineer was was um, seals leaking and seals deteriorating, especially in harsh winter conditions. Uh, there's always the argument of do you leave your pumps wet or dry, and regardless of whatever you do, uh, the strain on seals is, is pretty impressive. You add that to pressure of pumping a fire, and eventually things are going to start to leak. And if you miss the stain, yeah, you're, you're going to pay for it eventually. So it's all that's always a good one, and it's one that I can personally attest to. <laughs> now, here's one that some people may not think much about. You did not check the pump priming oil. How how frequently should we be checking that? You know, that's a good question. Uh, what, what I've found with um, apparatus and engineers is um, – engineers kind of tend to what they uh, like to do or what they feel is important. And in my department, one one engineer would be very picky about the SCBA pressures and making sure the regulators worked. And even though it was a firefighter's responsibility, that engineer would always make sure those uh, SCBAs were ready to go and that bottles were full. Um, me, personally, I was all about liquids. I, I, was, I was good about fueling the trucks on my shift. I made sure the pump priming oil was full. Um, I did all my liquids in the engine and, and made sure the diesel uh, uh, engine was happy. Um, as far as pump priming oil goes, uh, my attitude was anytime um, I used the uh, um, uh, the pump itself, I always checked the oil afterwards. Um, I always checked it in the morning so I wouldn't get fooled. The problem with pump priming oil is if it's not full and if you're not – um, if you're ignoring it, um, it can dry so fast that you can ruin a two-stage pump within minutes. Um, it'll it'll cavitate um, because it's not pumping efficiently. So something that simple as pump priming oil can be critical to your day. So personally, I checked it every morning on duty. Um, a lot of guys didn't if, if there was no evidence of pumping 
uh, the, the day before, but I, I could never depend on it. My attitude was check it so you know. Um, I, I, I just felt that was that important. All right, next we have several driving tips, and these maybe may seem obvious, but maybe they aren't when you're actually driving the big red rig with the screaming siren. So the first one of those is you fail to understand selective vision while driving. Yeah, um, a lot of that does come from experience. Um, I found that I, I drove um, slower and better as I as I. Uh, uh, grew in the job. I, I had a tendency to kind of get on it, and and the adrenaline would kind of push my uh, my right foot down on the accelerator. And as I as I got more experience, I realized that everybody had to get to the scene in a calm and and collected ma- uh, fashion. The, the captain had to be you know uh, ready to work, and the firefighters had to be relaxed enough to to ha- have things in order for themselves. So I, I found that. By, by taking a, a step back, if you will, in terms of speed and tunnel vision, I kind of got this idea of a field of vision. And the experience would tell me that, hey, uh, at a distance, I had to keep an eye on road conditions and maybe some red lights that were going off. Maybe they're, they're, Especially if you're going to an accident, you're eventually going to come upon the accident and you don't know what you're going to see. But field of vision also means around the truck. There could be civilians walking around. Um, uh, to me, a big red fire truck was always a big red magnet, and um, people and children especially were totally unpredictable. So I found that if I just relaxed my field of vision and kind of kept everything in terms of input coming at me at equal value, I could make better decisions than if I got tunneled in. All right. Well, we'll move to the next one, which is sort of related, failing to drive to conditions. Yeah, a, a lot of times rookies just forget that they're they're going out into bad weather. Uh, again, coming from a Colorado mountain community, uh, we always had bad weather, so we kind of got used to it pretty fast. Uh, I'll be honest, I've twirled a fire truck on I-70 once, um, and it's not a pleasant feeling when you twirl a, a $600,000 vehicle around, you know, weighing, you know, however many pounds, 40,000, 50,000 pounds, whatever, um, it's just not a good feeling. So you learn to drive to conditions. Um, it also helps your crew if they re- feel that they're safe in bad weather, and it just it keeps everybody on kind of the low down and, and able to respond when they get on scene. Um, so drive to conditions. Drive to your, your traffic. Um, uh, it just uh, it, it warrants... Uh, a first thought. I, I would always check my weather. I would always be outside the station waiting for that snow, waiting for that rain, and making sure that I had it in my brain that when we went out, it was probably because of weather-related situation. Here's one that we might bring from home with us, expressing your frustrations while driving, which some people might actually call road rage. An engineer yelling at, at you know, there's there's some guy in his Porsche and he's got his tunes up and he's rocking and rolling and he can't hear a thing and he doesn't see your lights and you're in back of him and you got your you know you're you're honking on the horn you got you're pulling on the line you got your siren screaming the lights are blinking and you just you get mad and you start yelling that what what I realized as a captain when my engineer started yelling is the only person that's hearing that is me and I um, I used to not like it at all simply because it amped up the whole crew inside the cab. 
So my attitude was do the best you can. Um, taking it out on people that can't hear you, uh, the only people it affects is your crew. So as a, as a mature engineer, uh, that, that's somebody that takes it all in stride, learns how to avoid the situations, and, and can get to the scene uh, efficiently and effectively and in a calm manner. And uh, to me, that was the most important quality. I, I've, I've had engineers that uh, their personalities were suspect, but they were great engineers, and I always respected them for it. And now we'll move into tools. You assume all small engine equipment will start, and I assume we're talking about chainsaws and the like here. Yeah, I, you know, you do truck checks. Uh, some people, if you have a 48-hour tour, a lot of times you do truck checks in the, in the morning of the first day, and you might skip it or you don't get to everything until the second day, and then things drift to another shift and they, you know, you get kind of busy with inspections or you got to go catch your meals at the grocery store and things just don't get done in a complete fashion. And I found that um, the first thing that was affected by a lack of, of uh, coherent truck checks was small engines. And the problem with a chainsaw not starting for roof work or, or a, a small engine on a, on a fan um, everybody on the fire ground can hear it. When you, when you pull that thing five or six times and nothing happens, uh, it becomes a deafening sound on the fire ground. And so I always tried to make sure that if, if somebody was skilled enough to know how to, to, you know, prime a two cycle engine or know how to, to get that, uh, uh pet cock open and get, uh, fuel going to the, to the chainsaw, then it was a couple pulls and you were on your way. And to me, that was always a source of pride. If, if somebody could start that engine uh, with one or two pulls, then I knew I was doing my job. And frankly, so did everybody else on the fire ground. Rookies sometimes lose tools or worse. Accountability on your engine or your truck is important. If you, if you show up on a scene and um, it, it usually starts with a, a rookie firefighter and they'll, they'll grab a pipe pole and they, they, because the officer asked for a pike pole or an additional axe or something, and the, the rookie uh, firefighter goes to the rig, yanks the pike pole off the back. The engineer is on, uh, on the side of the pumper, you know, working his dials and feathering his lines, and uh, he doesn't see it. And then some, another lieutenant swings by and says, hey, I need a pike pole. And the engineer says, yeah, it's in the back of the truck. Take it. And the lieutenant promptly comes back to the pump panel and says, hey, you don't have a pipe pole back there. What the hell's going on? Well, there's no accountability. So what I tried to do, even as an engineer, is I tried to let my firefighters know, if you take something from my vehicle, just tell me. That way I have accountability for the equipment that's gone and the equipment that's coming back. And uh, if you don't tell me, it, it, it hurts the strategy and tactics of a fire. And usually what I tried to do as an engineer is I, instead of it being my problem or my concern, I tried to instill in the firefighters the idea that, hey, it's your responsibility because the entire strategy and tactics of this fire is based on that rope or that axe that you took. And once that's kind of in, ingrained in their brain is that, wow, I'm affecting the strategy and tactics of this fire, they become a lot better in accountability. And to me, that was the key to keeping your uh, operation successful in and around a fire vehicle. Now, this next one I've actually seen, and I will admit I got a laugh out of it, but it can be dangerous, assuming your nozzles are ready. 
you know, I can't tell you how many times. You probably could quiz any firefighter with three to five years' experience, and they'll tell you about crouching at a front door, checking it for heat, getting ready to breach the door, you know, opening up the bale and having a, a straight stream knock them back or having a full fog soak everybody out in front of the door. So we've all been there. And as an engineer, it is so easy just to take your VSVG nozzle and make sure that, that it's set correctly. Um, uh, another one that was always a bugaboo was your master streams. Uh, a lot of times those 5750 GPM master streams are never used unless it's a big fire. And unfortunately, it's the big fire when they're desperately needed. So um, I, I would always just make sure that they were lubricated and functional. And every once in a while, if I had the chance, I just put a two and a half on the back of a master stream and just shoot water out of it to make sure I was happy and it was happy. So um, yeah, nozzle, nozzle placement and master stream operations, I think, are critical. It's, it's the job of the engineer or the driver operator, and if, if you don't have your equipment working properly, um, if, if nothing else, it's going to waste water. So if you have a quick attack with tank water, you've only got about two and a half minutes of usable water on a two and a half, and if you've got inch and three quarters, you might have a little more time, but if you waste that by having your nozzles uh, improperly set or not dialed down properly for water converse, uh, conservation, um, you're going to be in real trouble eventually. Our next one seems like it's something that nowadays would be more common than in the old days, and that's you're unfamiliar with the manual override. You know, Scott, that, that's very perceptive because in my day, um, manual override with a couple of pulls uh, uh, on the side of the panel. Um, you popped your vein drain closed and you, you went back and you, you manually put it in pump gear and you, you know, pulled the clutch out and off you went. And in fact, most of what we did with the old LaFrancis 35 years ago was manual. There wasn't anything else. But this one I really got from hanging out with current engineers uh, in my hometown. And, and the first thing I was overcome by was, was the complexities now of these new uh, electronics, the, the digital gauges, the electronic feathering, the, the, the incredible amount of sophistication in pump panels and the operation of the, of the pump uh, operation itself. Um, to me, th that complexity was profound. But my first reaction to that is, what happens when the electronics fail? And, and frankly, that's what happened to me. We had a brand new Pierce, and they had not protected the wiring for uh, mag chloride. And up in Colorado, we have a lot of mag chloride to keep our highways a little safer during snow conditions. And within a couple of years, the mag chloride had gotten into all of the electronics, and we literally were without any electronic pump. So knowing how to manually pump that uh, uh, Pierce pumper was absolutely critical, and that's kind of where I got the appreciation for whatever whatever you're schooled on, however complex and however uh, uh, technology oriented your 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 fire department is, always always know how to get water to the scene from a hydrant through your pump and do it successfully. Um, it, it's manual. It can be a real pain in the tush once in a while, but. Uh, learning it will uh, s save life and property at some point in your career. I'll ask this next one a little differently. 
Is it true that you can expect to mess up on your first run? <laughs> well, I'm sure opinions vary on that, but I Well, I all right, how about this? How about if you get through your first run perfectly and then your second one, you fall apart? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You've, you've been there, done that. Um, I, I think we've all been there. For me, it was the first one, and I was really lucky. I had 120 PSI at my, um, at my hydrant, so by the time I got water into my pump and realized that my PTO wasn't engaged, I was still giving them 100 PSI, uh, with fairly good GPM at the nozzle, and everybody was happy, and I nobody said anything, and I went back to the station, and knowing full well that I had not gauged the PTO, and I went to my captain, and I said, "Sir, I, I, I got water to the fire, but uh, it didn't. It, the, the pump had nothing to do with it." And uh, uh, Captain Leahy, who was my captain at the time, was very understanding, and he said, "Yeah, that's one." You know, you you get one or two mistakes in the beginning, and then then we expect you know that you get it you get it understood. But I all the engineers that I've ever known in my career and respected uh, over a beer and some honest thought and, and talk of, and discussion about it. Uh, I don't think I've ever met one engineer that didn't have a good story about how it didn't quite work out perfectly either on their first or second call. So it's just one of those things where I want rookie engineers to be aware that, hey, this is a tough job. I think it's one of the most difficult jobs in the fire service. I personally think it has the greatest responsibility day-to-day of any other uh, job in the fire service. Um, you figure that 5 to 15 percent of, uh, of your day is maybe a critical call. That's when the captain is responsible for keeping everyone safe and for a positive outcome. Firefighters are responsible for doing a good job. But that engineer has to drive to the grocery store. He has to drive to fire inspections. He has to drive to alarms. He's got to make sure everything on that vehicle works properly. And I just wanted to let engineers know that, hey, mistakes happen, and how you deal with them, to me, is the mark of a great engineer. And I've seen engineers encounter all sorts of difficulties on scene and and conquer those problems one at a time and and have not be worse for wear. And, I, and I'm so impressed by that and and like i said I, I have the greatest respect for driver operators more more than um a lot of officers that i know so uh, that's just the way it is for me and i just wanted them to know that yeah you'll mess up on one or two calls in your career and how you deal with that how you solve those problems i actually had a whole pumper go down once and i just rerouted all my water supplies to a to a ladder truck that had a, a pump in it and i just pirated off that and ended up fighting the fire off a ladder truck instead of a pumper and everybody was fine as long as they they had water into their uh, into their interior attack they didn't care where it came from so how you solve problems is really what makes a great engineer and my favorite is the last one you did <laughs> not check the screws on your diamond plate well that's a nice way of saying it you don't take pride in your trucks i i I've met two kinds of engineers. I've met the, the firefighter that wants desperately to be a firefighter, has no interest in being a driver operator, gets promoted with reluctance. In a small or mid-sized department, they know they have to go through engineering in order to be a captain or a lieutenant, um, and they're not, their career is going to be stalled if they try to avoid it, so they end up being an engineer reluctantly. Um, and those, those guys, uh, you kind of have to keep in line. You really have to... 
instill them with the pride and the, the integrity that goes with the job. The other engineers that I've dealt with are the ones that just love the trucks and the equipment. They're, they're mathematicians to the nth degree. They understand their hydraulics. Their fire, fire ground hydraulics are second to none. They can, they can squeeze water from, uh, from a turnip. I mean, they, they just know exactly what to do on the fire ground, and they take great pride. Those, those are the ones I love working with because they're as proud to be an engineer as I am to be a captain, and that, that, that's the foundation of a great crew. Your firefighters fall into line. They're proud to be doing their job, and the whole, the whole crew becomes just one huge team of, of accomplishment and ability, and, and it, it, that's a great tour. It's just a great day. But checking screws on your diamond plate is kind of the symbolic way of, of, of finding out whether an engineer is really proud of, of the work he does. And um, I always found in the morning that if I just walked around and got those diamond plate screws in, if I replaced a couple, I even had some old bolts and nuts in my pocket, and then if one fell out during a drive, I could actually tighten it up, replace it, and then go back to the maintenance shop and find, try to find some really nice uh, aluminum screws or some diamond plate screws. Uh, but to me, that was just a symbol of the fact that uh, if, if I heard a rattle, it was because my morale was down. I wasn't checking the truck, and things were maybe not as good as they could be. And it was just a, 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 a physical warning, a, an audio warning to me in my brain that, hey, you got to pay attention to these trucks because they're talking to you. And when a truck is tight and everything's running good and you're, you're going down the highway and, you, and it's time to, to do your job, uh, to me, there's just nothing, nothing better. And, and engineers, are, they're on the left-hand side of that truck for a reason. I think maybe the safest thing to say then is that if you're a really good engineer, no one has to pay attention to you. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. It it you 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 blend in with the crew. You blend in on a call. Um, everybody on the fire ground. I, I mean, I, I used to love to see engineers sitting by their pump panel, just kind of keeping an eye on the hum and knowing that the engine was running perfectly, water supply was good, and and they were very self satisfied. They they kept looking inside the building and making sure that we were safe, listening to radio traffic. And a lot of times, I mean, let's face it, a lot of times officers get overwhelmed with incident command or what Brunacini likes to call mobile command, and suddenly that captain who's, who's working in interior, he's in charge of the fire ground in some ways, and, and things are starting to get a little thick, and that engineer all of a sudden, you know, kind of steps up to the plate and maybe gets that next arriving lieutenant, gives him a good update, gives him the, the accountability information he needs to do his job, and, uh, you know, to me, that's the guy that's second in line as a lieutenant. So um, I, I see that kind of leadership in my engineers, and I, I know it's time for a promotion. And sometimes I come to them and I say, look, I hate to lose you as an engineer, but it, you're ready. It's time for you to, to, to take charge. And we will leave it there. Jim Spell, thanks for being on Code 3 this week. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor. I appreciate it. And and good luck to you, and be safe, sir. There's more information about Jim and his company, Haspro, on our website, code3podcast.com slash newengineers. That's one word, newengineers. Okay, so have you become a patron of Code 3 yet? It's your opportunity to support the show. 
We're asking for monthly pledges at all levels, and we're offering rewards for you too. So what's Code 3 worth to you? A buck a month? Five? Ten? Maybe even more? Just head over to the website, Code3Podcast.com, and click on the Patreon link so you can become a patron of Code 3 and help us out. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until next week, I'll see ya. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.